Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Well, Colin, how about the Gator game? Yeah, that was hot, hot garbage. Hot, Jesus hot garbage. garbage. Yeah, made me really, really, really optimistic about the rest of this season, especially this game against Georgia. <laughs> oh, boy, howdy does it. Yeah. I mean, especially the way our offensive line played. I mean, who is, what, what Tiger fan in Tiger Nation isn't filled with supreme confidence right now? Yeah, I'm sure we all are. We all are. Uh, you know, I'm planning on talking to a few, uh, maybe not all Tiger fans, but certainly Seth Marenbloom is joining us from the SEC 411 to uh, discuss what he thinks his the odds are for the Tigers to have any chance of beating the the Bulldogs down in Athens. So that'd well, be exciting. Well, if he knows anything about football, those odds will be long. Yeah, and um, we also got a Georgia guy on the podcast coming up. Um, his name's Derek Leonard from the uh, Dog Cast. So I assume it'll be about ten minutes of him just laughing in my face. <laughs> well, I'm sure he certainly feels good about this week's matchup. Yeah, and you know, not related to this game because who fucking cares really for the most part a lot of sec news happened in between uh football yeah. saturdays we had the the sad retirement of steve spurrier and uh coach. everybody's singing his praises wildly of course we spent the last two years calling him a rancid piece of shit so uh <laughs> i think if we yeah. tried now to say how great he was it might uh, seem a ring a little hollow yeah. A bright orange Grecian formula machine. Yeah, and uh, and then of course Will Greer, the Florida uh, quarterback, that a day after thumping our tubs, uh, gets suspended for the year for uh, having roids. Yeah, the uh, the world uh, is full of speculation as to what Matty Mock may have sold him to get him suspended. That's right. Uh, I you only has have to assume that uh, the world's most famous drug dealer in Columbia, Missouri, uh, lent a little something to old Will Greer. Yeah. Sure. Well, and, uh, you know, we usually only talk to the upcoming teams uh, on our previous show, Colin, but I got in touch with uh, Andrew Spivey from GatorCountry.com to talk about that Will Greer suspension a little bit. Well, that's good to know. I'm, I'll, like I said, again, I'll be very, very curious to see what Matty Mock may have sold him. Yeah, and uh, it'll be interesting, going back to this Georgia game, the other SEC news I can think of is that Nick Chubb's uh, knee now swings both ways like a uh, saloon door at a, yeah, at a cowboy a movie. Door. Yeah, the Dutch door action, Brennan. Yeah, the Dutch door that is Nick Chubb's knee will not be in action. Uh, may not bring that up to the Georgia guy. Well, I mean, in our defense, I mean, the Georgia guy, is, like I said, they're probably riding pretty high in the saddle knowing they get to play uh, our Tigers this week. But uh, Georgia's had a bit of a pissing down both legs uh, problem uh, of late. Well, not of late, of the past few seasons, I'll be. The Mark Richter. Yeah, so uh, – like certainly, certainly going to thump our tub, but not without their own flaws. Yeah, is anything you want me to ask uh, the old Georgia guy? Because high on my list is when you fuckers going to fire Mark Richt? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean that's the truth, Britton. Really, for three or four years now, Georgia has been the favorite to win the SEC East, and probably should have won the SEC East, and has not won it a single time. And when you quit living up to when you don't live up to any expectations, uh, that usually costs you your job. And 
Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like Georgia, while maybe only realistically should have expectations to win the East, probably always have expectations to win the national championship, which, while is a delusion of grandeur, is what, what their fans are accustomed to, to hoping for. Yeah, well, they can hope in one hand and shit in the other. <laughs> you bet, Jim. You better believe it. Well, let's give this motherfucker a listen. What do you say? Yeehaw! M-I-Z! Z-O-U. And a throw. Slam. This bug's for you. This is the Mazad Cast. Joining us now, Seth Marinbloom from the Campus Press Box and the podcast SEC 411. Uh, thanks for joining us, Seth. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, Missouri coming off a bad loss to Florida and heading into Georgia. And we've been saying all year, Seth, we don't see any way Missouri could win this game. And that was before we knew how bad this offense could be. Is there any world that you see where Missouri comes out of this looking any good at all? I, I think there's a chance they look competitive simply because of, of how stout and competitive that, that Mizzou defense mm-hmm. is. I mean, because that, that Florida game, if Florida would have had a, a better offense than they do, that, that thing could have gotten out of hand in a hurry. But, you know, Missouri has a defensive line that, you know, Kuligowski has seemed to just work some wizard-like magic with to develop legitimate depth there with a bunch of freshmen. You know, and, you know, the, the defensive backs are, are playing, playing their butts off. So I, I, I don't see why this game against Georgia can, can't be competitive, but I, I think it's going to be a case where it, they, they, they just tease us. The defense will make it look competitive. The offense isn't going to be able to get anything going, and we're just going to you know, wind up feeling teased by the end of it. Let's talk about the offense because that's the real concern of the entire season. I mean, um, I think the frustration for Mizzou fans has been that we're wasting this great defense uh, with this abysmal offense. And and we talked a little bit about over the weekend how, you know, every team short of the most elite ones in the country have up seasons and down seasons. But I don't know, is there any excuse for this offense to be so bad? I mean, they're, they're statistically, they're one of the worst offenses in the country, even in a down year. Like the offensive line in particular, which is a senior heavy offensive line, is there an answer for it? And if so, you know, why haven't we found it yet? Uh, at, at this point, I don't think there's an answer for it. And you, know, you kind of stole my thunder a little bit with bringing up the offensive line. Uh, that that unit is the reason that I thought, even with you know Matty Mock as the starter at the beginning of the year, and you know his you know pirouetting three ring circus you know type, type of game, you know that offensive line is why I thought that the team would be damn good this year, even on the offensive side of the ball, because they had all of this depth returning, and you know they had a full year with AJ Ricker in his system under their belt. So I thought, all right, the learning curve, you know, will have been removed. They're all on the same page. They have experience back. And they they just 
and I I don't understand why, especially given you know having having Bame there there in the middle. Just it doesn't seem like he's able to get through to him. Doesn't seem like Rickers able to get through to him. And you know I I know that they've been banged up a little bit, but with the way that, that Gary Pinkle manages his offensive lines, basically going too deep and you know being able to slide guys up and down the line and have them play multiple positions, I I have a difficult time accepting just how... Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. Dot edu slash podcast. How poorly that unit is played this year. You know, I've seen, you know, people put up uh, short clips and animated GIFs of particular plays during these games, and there are spots where guys like Brad McNulty, they look like statues, and they got defensive tackles just running by them, like two-hand touch, and it's like their, their, their feet are stuck in cement. And at what point... Do you stop blaming the seniors and start blaming the coaches for not having them ready? Or, or is that fair? We're looking at basically two years now where we've had almost no offense and we kind of got around it with the talent of Murphy and Hansborough last year. But this is the second straight year where our offense just can't produce at an SEC level. It, you know, is there a coaching problem? You know, I, I think that is a perfectly fair criticism. And I, I wouldn't even put it on Henson because – but my eyes see Henson trying to to scheme yardage and points on on the board for him. You know the way that he's using the tight end and the H back. I, I I see Henson doing things in an attempt to manage what he has to work with. My, my major gripe is with AJ Ricker as far as the coaches go because mm-hmm. you know last year at the beginning of the year the the, the offensive line didn't really look much better than it does currently but they you know kind of had that built-in excuse that Ricker was a bit of a late hire with you know Bruce Walker you know, deciding to retire you know kind of at the last minute you know so they they bring in this true son from Illinois and I, I think there were there there were factions of the fan base that really liked the hire because he was you know that you know, true son had that true son moniker attached to him. There were others who were saying, "Wait a minute! Look how his lines had played at Illinois. What are we getting ourselves in here? You know, into here." Well, a year later, I'm not sure we know what we got ourselves into with him. Yeah, and I mean, I'll be honest. 
I don't get super excited one way or another when a team hires an offensive line coach. That's uh, that my fandom doesn't reach that deep. But certainly, it, it, when a season like this, where it's you can basically pinpoint the the failure of the season to offensive line play, um, there's a spotlight on him for sure. I mean, oh yeah, yeah. It made Drew Locke look I mean, I, like Matty Mock, frankly, last week, and made and, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, to, to our, I mean, I hate to say this, but, you know, it makes all the people who are you know, taking a dump all over Matty Mock think, well, maybe Mock wasn't so bad. Maybe he just didn't have time to work. I mean, I do think Mock has a lot of failings at a quarterback that Drew Locke doesn't have. But there's just, you know, you can be Aaron Rodgers in there, and if you have zero time to work, you're not going to look very good. No, I, I absolutely agree with that as well. Um, I, I think the, the potential upside with Locke playing behind this offensive line as opposed to Mock playing behind this offensive line is that that Mock just he has he has a quicker release mm-hmm. and I, I think that that is to the benefit of the offense granted that that offense went virtually nowhere against Florida but I'm, I'm also willing to you know to applaud Florida because I mean their their defense they're, they're, that's no middle of the road defense right. that that Missouri was playing. That's that's a true top notch defense that that Missouri was was playing. You know, so I mean, I, I think when they play Georgia on Saturday, you know, a few weeks down the road, and they have to play a team like Vanderbilt, you know, I, I think Drew Locke starts to look, you know, quite quite a bit better because he, he's still going to have that same schlocky offensive line he's playing behind, but He's not going to be playing against Florida's defense either. Well, that is a, a small bright spot, and I'm going to cling to it because I've been needing one. All right. Uh, I, so I wanted to ask you, you wrote an article for Campus Press Box uh, earlier in the week, and uh, it was a little bit critical of one of Missouri's players, Michael Shear, a linebacker, um, who himself was critical of some of the press he'd received recently. And uh, it, we took a liking to this article because we have a kind of a feeling that some of the players, especially you know in a season like this, which has had its turmoil, uh, they do not handle criticism very well. And granted, you know players now have to deal with criticism at a different level that than you know 10, 15 years ago before social media. But but they seem to really accept praise, and in this case, like uh, with Michael Shear, don't accept criticism very well at all. Tell us a little bit about what triggered this article for you. Um, but th- this this article, to be honest with you, has been it has been a year in the making, mm-hmm. really. Um, th- this the timing was just right for me to write it at this time, um, given given the um, the head to head that went on between Michael Shear and Rockham Nation, and then you know I, I also brought up um, Alex Lewis, who is an offensive lineman. University of Nebraska, who, you know, if if anybody hasn't followed his situation there in Nebraska's situation, you know, Nebraska's like two and four now, and Lewis just can't shut his mouth to to all the detractors. Um, you know, so I, I mean, I brought up Sheer, brought up Lewis, I even brought up um, Richie Incognito, and it was just a pure coincidence that two of the three were, uh, you know, were Nebraska players. <laughs> so this, this has been swirling, this has been swirling in my head for, for at least a year. And then, then this happened and I felt like I had, um, I, I had a 
enough data to include in the article to get more than a couple of paragraphs. Well, tell us a little um, bit about and, what Shearer did that spawned it. Well, uh, Rockham Nation, they, you know, they, they wrote this article. I, I forgot you know, specifically after which game it was. But it, it, had, uh, it had to do primarily with the defense, and the focus really seemed to be on the defensive line and, and Josh Augusta, who, you know, side note to you know, my, my article, I, I'm, I'm completely blown away and impressed with what Augusta's done on the field. He got himself in just good enough shape that he's actually able to play a significant number of snaps. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really what the Rockham Nation article was was getting after. Um, you know, as they they talked about the defensive line, they got into the defense as a whole, and they started to break down the the play of Michael Shear. And you know, maybe he's maybe a half step too slow sometimes. Maybe he gets himself out of position a little bit sometimes. But they also tempered those comments by saying that. Um, Hands being out of position at times can be by design based on the defensive philosophy that Barry Odom is playing. Because I, I, I think everybody would agree, no, no defensive system is completely perfect, and you're you're willing to give up certain parts of the field in order to um, defend other parts of the field. I, I don't think that's a big secret to to anybody. And so Shear took particular offense at how he was portrayed mm-hmm. in the article, and he kind of got into it with with Bill Conley, who he's not the one who wrote the article, and Michael Shear never never approached on Twitter the person who actually wrote it, and so so that was that was the launching point for for me this this time around. So I, I just think these players are. They, they take it far too personally when they're called out a little bit by the same media and blogger personalities who they just run to when they write anything good about them. Yeah, I, that's. I mean, that's what I liked about the content of the article is that uh, the most of those players they they're perfectly happy to be fawned over, and when they become Division One athletes, particularly for a Power Five program, there's a lot of fawning that's going to happen um, from a lot of people, and that you, you accept that because it's a lot of fun. But there's a there's a yin to that yang. And uh, that is that when when you aren't at your best, or if somebody has some criticism, you're also going to hear that, and you come off a little whiny when you can take one but not the other. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, and it's you know, unfortunately, I think it's it's just the state that our that our country's you know younger generation has, has been raised in, and then you you put the the bow of being, you know, a high-profile high school athlete, and then that bleeds over to being, you know, a high-profile college athlete in a conference like the SEC, and you you begin to get to the point where you're just you've been enabled for so long that you just come to expect that, and you expect that being enabled is just the way that you should be treated. So when you when you you know have you know, when you, you reach some friction with somebody, you know, it kind of blows up in your mind and we see what we saw with Shear and then, you know, he couldn't let it go and Kentrell Brothers, you know, couldn't let it go 
because they they were talking about it in in the locker room and at the, the media day with David Morrison from the Tribune yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they they claim to be so thick skinned and they claim to not pay attention to what their detractors say, but then they can't let it go. Well, the reality is their detractors are also um, a lot of times their biggest fans, depending on the day. Yes. And, and so, it, you know, you, if if you're going to dismiss somebody for saying something bad about you one day, you know, you're going to lose everybody eventually because, I mean, even the most Pollyanna folks are not going to be happy every day. I mean, there are members of the media I know who feel like they should take these players and college athletes in general and treat them as delicate little flowers because they're young 18 to 22 year olds and all of them make mistakes which is true i was kind of a crazy person between 18 and 22 too but i was also an adult who was subject to consequences for my actions and granted not being an athlete of any kind nobody really cared what i did but if i did something bad enough there would be consequences. And, you know, there was a time where, where 18-year-olds, we let them storm the beaches of Normandy, and now they can't take yeah. mean tweets because that's too hard. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, I, I mentioned something like this in a mini rant that I had on Twitter last night after, you know, I saw, um, you know, David Morrison's, um, you know, his, the, the comments that from the locker room that he was reporting, you know, and that is, I think these, these footballs, football players, they, they have this impression that how much they bench press is what is what makes them a man and is what makes them an adult. And, right. it, you know, it, it's at some at some point in their lives, you know, whether it's this year, next year, 15 years down the road, I, I think more often than not, they they kind of figuratively get slapped upside the head with the reality that no that isn't what makes you a man. And, you know, they, they have to come to that realization, you know, after they've potentially done something that requires a reprimand that's a little bit stronger than just some words they don't like. Yeah, and then granted, in Shearer's case, Shearer's been a great player and a great linebacker and a very good defense. And the criticism he received was incredibly mild given the response that he had afterward. I think that was the only beef we had with... I had with Michael Shearer was that uh, the amount of upset that he had uh, versus what was said about him didn't seem to match up. You know, he couldn't take any yeah. sort of criticism at all. You know, and, and he, he kind of took it a step further with, with Bill Conley also. Um, you know, what, one, of, one of the reasons that, that I like reading what, what Bill writes is it's, it, it's so numbers-oriented and statistically Oriented. I, I couldn't begin to do what what he does, but I I really enjoy it. I really admire it. And Shear was calling out Bill's numbers, saying, "Well, you're you're you know wrong more often than you're right." And well, if you really really look at his track record, he's right more than fifty percent of the time, I I believe. And you know the the thing about numbers is you know while there can be some bias built into those numbers. I really, more often than not, those numbers are, um, in a non-biased way, establishing patterns. And you know, I don't, I don't really know how you argue with those if you're somebody like Michael Shear, unless you just don't want to accept reality. Right. 
Well, uh, we enjoyed it, and if anybody else wants to read it, it's at campuspressbox.com. This is Seth Marenbloom joining us. Uh, Seth, I, I can't remember exactly what you said. I think you predicted uh, Mizzou wins 42-10 to 10 against Georgia. Is that what you mentioned earlier? Oh, I mean, do you, yeah. I mean, do, you, do you think um, you think the defense is going to give up 10 points? Yeah, right. <laughs> Sorry, I was pessimistic. <laughs> Come on, let's you know, let's let's be nice here. Yeah. Um, now, I, I think I think this game is a competitive game because of how good Mizzou's defense is, and I I think they I think they played strong enough on the defensive side of the ball to to tease all of us into thinking that we have a shot at, at winning this game. But it, the the offense I think will move the ball a little bit better than they did against Florida. But but in in the end, I just I just don't see them winning this game. I could I could see maybe mm, like a you know twenty four to ten type of game. I, I think we I think we get seven points on the board this week. But it, it's it's still not going to be overwhelmingly pretty. Well, thank you. I think uh, it's going to be hard for you to argue with that analysis. Seth, thanks for joining us. You, you are welcome. My pleasure. With us now from GatorCountry.com is Andrew Spivey. He does a Florida Gators podcast, and he uh, probably enjoyed last week's win over Mizzou, didn't you, Andrew? Yeah, you know, it was, uh, it's always good to start 6-0. I think you'll agree that uh, it's nothing better than uh, covering a winning football team and having a good fan base that is uh, interested in hearing you talk and interested in your work. So good win for the Gators last week. Uh, I guess a very good football team that uh, Missouri has uh, under uh, Gary Pinkle. Well, all those things you described, a a good program with off to a strong start, those have all been our rearview mirror this season Um, (laughs) because, uh, you know, Missouri's – Offense has disappeared some some point between 2014 and 2015, and uh, Florida made good use of that, and their their defense was as advertised and really shut us down even stronger. So uh, congratulations on that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. You know, I don't know where you guys are finding the defense alignment from, but uh, y'all have a factory over there, and uh, just continue to grow them things. It's like uh, money on trees. Always good defensive lineman in Missouri. Yeah, we might have to convert some of them over to offensive line at some point. <laughs> Andrew, I wanted to ask you something non-field uh, related, off the field related, I guess. Very shortly after uh, the Gator win, the starting quarterback, Will Greer, what, it was announced that he would be suspended for the remainder of the 2015 season due to uh, uh, performance-enhancing drugs being detected in, uh, I don't know, I guess it's piss. Tell us a little bit about that situation. How did it come about? It sounds to me like there was a little bit of confusion about when people knew about it or or, or just how it came to light. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a couple of different things that's going on right now. Um, that some guys are saying that um, it was a test that was 10 days ago, and then the B sample came back on Sunday. Uh, no real timeline was given exactly when the test was given. We do know Florida found out Sunday night that he had been suspended. Um, because the NCAA does allow a, a test to get be taken, 
um, if you fell that when you're allowed to get a B test to come in, and, and he fell both of those. So uh, that's why he was suspended. Uh, it was a uh, performing-enhancing drug or an over-the-counter supplement is exactly what he took. Uh, Florida and Will Greer have not released the supplement he took yet. Um, some HIPAA violations there of not being able to release that. So we'll see what that is. Uh, the, the main question right now is, is can he get his suspension reduced? It's a year uh, from yesterday, so it'd be October 12th is when he'd be able to return of 2016. And they're trying to get that reduced down to maybe the rest of this season and, and then be able to come back next season. But uh, bad circumstances for everyone involved. Uh, I think uh, you would agree with me that you never want to see a player uh, go down for, for something like this. You always want the best players to play. But uh, Florida will move forward, have Treon Harris, uh, that, that was the backup quarterback, played as a true freshman last year. They'll have him go this week, and uh, we'll see how things go. Sure, and uh, we, I mean, just to stoke the, uh, the controversy uh, fire, is it? Is there any chance that Matty Mock sold him uh, whatever drug he took to get suspended? There's, uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of things. Uh, the, the biggest thing going around right now is did uh, Les Miles call the uh, NCAA on him? Because two years in a row, Florida has lost their starting quarterback uh, before LSU. So Les Miles eating grass and uh, getting Florida players suspended. That is the uh, talk of the town. I'm sure, I'm sure it is. You know, there was a, a little bit of scuttlebutt. I don't know if there's anything to it. I, I'd seen that there was, I guess, on a Gator blog site of some sort that uh, – uh, somebody had posted that uh, Greer would be getting suspended on Saturday, and then, of course, the suspension was laid down on Sunday, leading to people people to suspect that maybe people knew about it before Sunday evening. Uh, is there anything to that, or is that just wild speculation? You know, I think it's a, I think it's more speculation. Um, again, uh, no no real timetable as to when the B sample came back. Uh, that's what that's what we have to remember here is that the B sample is what has to be known by the team before they're able to suspend anyone. And we're not exactly sure when that came in. Did that come in Saturday after the team left to go to Missouri? Uh, did that happen Sunday morning? There's just real no timetable of that. And as I'm sure you're aware of, fans speculate after the fact say they knew this, they knew that. So really right now I, I, I'm not sure what exactly to make of Sure, and I mean the only reason it would matter too much is that if there if there were some reason that to suspect that the program was aware of Greer's uh, uh, drug test prior to game time, then that would lead to possibilities of infractions against the program as well as the player. But uh, like you said, that's, there's there's nothing substantive to know that there's anything like that going on. Um, yeah, and if you know Jeremy Foley, the athletic director at Florida. You know, I. I I know everyone says this, that their program's clean, and yeah, I'm not going to say Florida's program is spotly clean, but Jeremy Foley is very big on on if he knows something, holding people out uh, for that. Uh, he hates the NCAA violations. So I, I believe that if Jeremy Foley knew something of this, he would have had Treon Harris play in Santa Will Greer. So I, I would say that it's not true, but in the world we live in today, nothing is uh, ever uh, impossible. Sure, sure. Tell us what a Treon Harris program might look like this week because, uh, like you said, we saw him a little bit last year when we came to the Swamp. And granted, that was a much different Florida team under a much worse coach an abysmal, horrible coach, and they look like a completely different team now under McIlwain, but uh, but Trayon Harris has had some experience behind center, so what do you expect the, the Gators to look like against LSU uh, with, with Will Greer gone? Yeah, I mean, 
McAvoy has said, and, and we've seen that as well at the beginning of the year, it shouldn't look much different um, as far as the offense goes. I think you will see Treon Harris not uh, be told to make the throws that Will Greer did, and that that is the long out routes to the opposite side of the field uh, from one hash mark to the other sideline. Uh, you'll see him be a little safer with that, but you know, Treon Harris does throw a very good deep ball, probably a better deep ball than Will Greer does, uh, and he is a better runner than Will Greer is. Uh, the, the biggest key for, for Florida is Treon Harris can't make mistakes. Uh, Will Greer has played turnover-free football for the majority of the season, and that's something Treon did struggle a little bit with last year. So can he play turnover-free football, then, then things should be okay. But Treon should run still the same package with maybe a, a gimmick play here and a gimmick play there and maybe a little bit more running um, overall. But I, I think McElwain will do a good job of, of basing a game plan around Treon Harris. And, and just remember one thing, and that's the biggest thing, is Florida's defense is one of the best, if not the best, in the country, and that'll keep them in every football game. Certainly, yeah. So tell us, I don't know uh, exactly, is there precedent for uh, suspensions being lightened for instances like what Will Greer is, is dealing with right now? Or, uh, you know, is, is there any reason to believe that the suspension could be lightened? Yeah, I mean, you go back and you look at a lot of the of the past cases, and, and I would say, 80% of them are held up because the NCAA is very stiff on this PED thing. Uh, they say ignorance of not knowing that it was banned is not an excuse. Um, that is, they care bylaws, actually. Um, so I, I don't think it is. Um, but then again, uh, it is the NCAA, and they do weird things. Uh, I disagree with it being a year suspension. You have a lot of other suspensions for, in my opinion, things that are worse that are only a game or three games. And then a guy gets busted for a year for something that he bought at GNC that you and I could buy. So I think it should be reduced. But in my opinion, I don't think it will be reduced because of the NCAA's harsh punishment. Sure. Well, thanks for uh, joining us. Good luck against LSU. It should be very interesting with that defense you mentioned of Florida is going up against Fournette of LSU. It'll be the uh, immovable object against the unstoppable force this weekend. Absolutely, and I think I speak for everybody in Gainesville that they'll probably be rooting for the Missouri Tigers against Mark Rick and the Bulldogs this weekend. <laughs> we need more than rooting. We need miracles. Get your prayer book out. <laughs> well, we'll see you, Will Greer. He can't play for Florida, but maybe he can play for Missouri. Can he play offensive line? That's our concern. <laughs> no, Florida has no offensive line as well, so sorry there. <laughs> well, thanks again for joining us, Andrew. I appreciate it. It's been fun. You got it. Thank you. So this next bit may seem a little bit confusing. I was actually interviewed by the dog cast rather than the other way around. So when you're listening to the interview, realize that I'm the one being interviewed and uh, try not to be too confused. I know that can be difficult when listening to the Mazodcast. Anyway, enjoy. All right, guys. So I'm here with uh, Brendan from the Mazodcast. He's the he's the resident Missouri expert, and uh, we were lucky enough to have him on the show this week. Brendan, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, and I appreciate the uh, expert moniker because I'm, I'm sure I don't live up to that. <laughs> well, hey, man. Hey, listen, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt until uh, you prove me wrong. So 
We got a big game this cool. week. How are you feeling about being a 17 point underdog to the Bulldogs this week? Uh, you know, I'll be honest. It sounds pretty accurate. If if Georgia can score 17 points, then we will likely lose by 17 points. We just don't have any kind of offense. <laughs> oh man, if it were only that easy, you know, our defense, which used to be like the strength of our team, we kind of hung our hat on defense back at the beginning of the year. They've not been doing so great. They've they've taken quarterbacks like Josh Dobbs from Tennessee and turned him into, you know, all SEC offensive player of the week. So if your kid Locke is going to have a breakout game, this is his week to do it. You know, we're I'm not feeling great about our defensive backs and his ability to throw, you know. I understand yeah, and I, I thought that Dobbs was excited about his performance, but I just couldn't tell due to the lack of eyebrows what his expression was. <laughs> exactly, right? His his excited face, his sad face, you know, his surprised face, it all looks the same, right? But um, it does. I, I tell you, you man, might he have ran the same over us. With, I was going to say you might have the same problem with Drew Locke. He's got those Bama bangs, and uh, they hang get pretty low down on the face. So um, he has a pretty good poker face as well for a different reason. Nice. Well, you know, he is a freshman. It's his third game. Uh, you know, he had pretty good game against South Carolina. Not so good against Florida. He threw a couple of picks. But the kid looks like he's got a lot of talent. Um, do you think you're going to be able to protect him? You know, we're missing one of our super speed rushers, a guy named Jordan Jenkins. He's probably not going to play this week. But we still have Lorenzo Carter and all SEC first teamer Leonard Floyd. Are you worried about the pressure that our defense is going to be able to bring with stunts and blitzes on Drew Locke? Well, given the season we've had, uh, Missouri would be remiss if it wasn't worried about pressure from any team we played, much less some of the top teams in the SEC like Georgia. But the people who are trying to find a glimmer of optimism for this offensive line are looking at it as saying, you know, Florida brought as bad as we're ever going to see. That defense is just a juggernaut. And uh, the hope is that maybe Georgia might be a step or two down from what Florida brought as a pass rush with concerned. And maybe Drew Locke would have at least a half a second or two more to make something happen uh, compared to what he had in Florida, which was just absolutely nothing. So, so I, yeah, I am very concerned. But if there's any sort of optimism, it's just that not everybody plays defense at Florida's caliber, and hopefully Georgia missing a guy or two might uh, might provide us a little bit of a let up from what we saw last week. Well, I got to tell you, if what you're saying is right, and I, I think it is, I mean, my note on Missouri is, <laughs> I wrote right here on my little magic uh, notepad, anemic offense, right? So let's assume the offense is anemic, although I tell you, I am worried about this tight end you've got. We are super vulnerable. If you could get the message to Gary Pinkle, we are super vulnerable to good tight ends. And this kid, Sean Culkin, your tight end, if he can get between the uh, numbers on the field between the hash marks about 20 yards downfield he should have success no matter who's throwing the ball to him but I'll, I'll tell you go I mean go ahead what do you think about Sean Culkin is is he the real deal at tight end well you know the last year Sean Culkin struggled a lot with pass dropping this year he's looked really strong he's missed the last two weeks due to a, a strained knee He's in the depth chart this week, but he's listed as questionable. You all might not have to worry about Sean Culkin just due to injury. Uh, they're keeping that pretty close to the vest until game time, obviously. Jason Reese is a second, uh, or is the backup tight end. He has looked pretty good the last, well, against South Carolina more than Florida. 
but Sean Culkin was very much the, the most reliable option for Matty Mock when he was in. But uh, Sean Culkin and Drew Locke, they never, they never started a game together due to uh, injuries to uh, Culkin and, of course, Matty, Locke, Matty Mock being the starter before that. So it, it, who knows with the Sean Culkin situation? don't even know if he's going to see the field. He's certainly not accustomed to seeing passes from Drew Locke. Yeah. Okay. Well, that I didn't even know that actually. I didn't know he was hurt. So I'm I'm actually really happy about that because our biggest vulnerability <laughs> seems to be tight ends on like a skinny post down the middle of the field. You know. Um. But let's yeah. say let's just say the anemic offense. Let's go with that anemic offense thing for a second. If that's true, then I think this whole game is going to come down to whether or not George is able to move the ball against Missouri's defense, which I think is definitely the strength of your team, and more specifically to the point. I think your defensive line is the strength of your team. I'm really worried about these guys up front and their ability to stunt and get this whole edge rush kind of thing going on. Because as you probably have seen, we got a quarterback in Grayson Lambert who is pretty good if he's got time to throw. But if you can make him think about anything other than his checkdowns, he is a little less reliable, you know? I mean, let, let's put it bluntly. I mean, let's put it mildly. He's less reliable when he's uncomfortable. Sure, and uh, you're absolutely right. The only reason Missouri has stayed in football games at all has been their defense. And going into this season, Missouri knew they were going to have a, a senior experienced defense. Their one question mark was their defensive line, having lost the likes of Marcus Golden and Shane Ray to the NFL and then we come up with these guys like uh, Charles Harris, who's redshirt sophomore, and he looks just as good, if not better, than what we saw last year on the end position. And then we uh, got a five-star defensive tackle and Terry Beckner Jr., who just plows through guys. And he's young, and he's big, and he's a little bit doughy yet. So he, you know, we haven't even seen the best of what he can bring to the table. So this inexperienced line has been a real benefit to the Tigers in a season where we haven't seen a lot of benefits. So, that, you know, if Missouri has a chance to beat this Georgia team, it will be because the defensive line uh, overpowers the offensive line and gives Lambert uh, just not enough time to make decisions. Right. Yeah, and plus you got a pretty couple good linebackers too, man. These kid uh, brothers on the weak side and the other kid Sharer on the on the strong side. Those two guys look pretty good. Walter Brady looks good. I'm pretty worried about this uh the kind of pressure you guys can bring in the box. Now, I know they're good as as pass rush because, you know, they do all these slants and stunts and they're super creative with the way they put pressure on offensive line. How have you guys been because this is the question for Bulldog fans. How have you guys been against stopping the run? You know, that that has not been an issue for the uh, for the Tigers this year. You mentioned Kentrell Brothers. He started the season having back-to-back, I think, 17 and 16 tackle games, a lot of tackles for a loss. He's probably one of the best players on the team. He looked like he might go down with an ankle injury one week. He comes back. He gets carted off the field, comes back the next week, plays even better. Uh, he looks like a superman. And you're right, they have had, uh, you know, corner blitzes, a lot of interesting things from the new uh, defensive coordinator, Barry Odom, who uh, uh, Gary Pinkle picked up from Memphis. They've been stopping the run, much like Georgia. Their big susceptibility has been to those up-the-middle passes, those tight-end passes. They have shown weaknesses there. They Even against Florida, though, it looks like they've sort of figured that out. Florida had very few uh, offensive yards. They they had two good drives in the first quarter, and then nobody scored last week. After about a minute 30 left in the first quarter, 
the it was just a punt display other than a pick six that uh, Florida had against Drew Locke. So Missouri does not really have a defensive weakness it, other than their offense keeps them on the field too long and they and they eventually wear down. That's the big weakness that the defense has is that the offense goes three and out and the defense rarely gets a chance to catch some air. Mm, that's a good point, man. I tell you, you don't have to worry about us throwing to a tight end. That that would never happen. Uh, the odds <laughs> of us throwing to a tight end, we might throw to a tight end once in, I don't know, in week 10. But, uh, yeah, you can count on us running the ball. You know, we're going to run the ball. We're going to give it to Sonny Michelle. You know, we are missing our the best player on our team, uh, Nick Chubb. He is out, uh, at, you know, we're still waiting on the report, really the official report. I've heard everything from, you know, he might play this season to he might never play again. So we're somewhere between those two, uh, those two extremes. But, um, you know, we got a couple of good running backs. We, with, uh, Keith Marshall and Sony Michelle, we've got, uh, Brendan Douglas and, uh, we've also, I mean, you know, we've got, we still have a pretty potent rushing attack. Um, so you can count on us running it and trying to give you really long drives. And uh, we're going to try to grind your defense a little bit, three yards at the time. So I, th- I think that's going to be where the game is won or lost for both teams. Sure, and, and I really do hate to hear that about uh, Nick Chubb. I mean, Missouri really, uh, that was his coming out party when uh, Todd Gurley had to sit out for a kind of a BS suspension, if you ask me, last year. And he just completely ran all over Missouri and uh you know we even regardless of who's who's got taken the ball at uh at Georgia we have a lot of respect because we had a little bit of hope going into that game knowing that uh Gurley was going to be sitting and then we saw what Nick Chubb can do and really to hear a guy like that who's so talented and so young suffer that kind of injury I saw on television that the severity of it it was it was brutal to see and I wish oh, him the yeah. best yeah, it but, looked terrible, uh, right? It really did look was, terrible, but you know, I, I don't know. We're, we're holding out hope, you know, that, uh, maybe it's not as bad as it looked, you know. I mean, I'm still, I'm just being super optimistic and, cause I don't want to think about, uh, the alternative to it not working out for him, cause he is a good kid. But, um, I tell you, man, it's, it's going to be an interesting game. It's a late kickoff. It's going to be kind of chilly. Um, it's supposed to be kind of cool. It's going to be our first cool night game of the year. Uh, it's going to be a real night game, and uh, I'm really excited. Are you going to be able to make the trip down to Athens? Do you plan on coming down to uh, Sanford Stadium? You know, I really wanted to, and uh, the only thing that's keeping me from going down to Athens, I was, I, I was there a couple years ago, is just that I I, I – I don't feel I haven't I never felt like this game was worth seeing for the Tigers. I had very little hope that Missouri could pull off a win against a highly touted Georgia team. I didn't get tickets or deal with the press box situation. Honestly, though, I mean, as bad as Missouri's looked, I, I'm as optimistic about this game as I have been at any point in the season. Just knowing that the struggles that Georgia's had, both with a couple of hard losses and the loss of guys like Chubb, uh, even still, though, I'm still predicting a. Uh, like maybe a 24-10 type of game for uh, for Georgia to win. Missouri just doesn't have any chance to put – if you can't put points on the board, you can't win, and Missouri cannot move the football. So unless they do, unless there's something radically different at offensive line or, or the Josh Hansen, our offensive coordinator, does something different, there's no chance we can win, and, and I'm <laughs> – I'm going to stay in Columbia for that one. <laughs> wow. Well, I'll tell you what, man. I wish I had your optimism, my friend. I, I, I appreciate you coming on because really what my audience needs, what the DogCast audience needs is uh, a ray of light, a ray of optimism. So I appreciate the Missouri guy coming on the show saying, hey, 
don't worry. It's going to be okay. You guys are going to win. So that that's fantastic. Guys, you can check out his show. It's at Mizodcast. It's kind of like Miz, Mizur, it's like Mizu, except take off the U and put on a, the Oddcast, right? So, um, Mizodcast. Yeah, we're trying to make it as hard to find and, and, and difficult to say as possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I'm sure guys in the, in around Columbia and in the state of Missouri, I'm sure they, they get it. I'm sure it rolls right off the tongue. So, um, <laughs> Brendan, I really appreciate you coming on the show, man. It was great to have you. And, uh, you know, I always, it, right about here is where I usually say, hey, we'd love to talk to you after the game. But honestly, one of us is probably going to be a little butt hurt after the game and probably not in the mood to talk that much. So, you know, hey, that maybe, makes the best kind of a broadcasting. Somebody's got that to Well, maybe after the game or maybe uh, for sure next year we'll get together before we come up to Columbia and, uh, and we'll see where we're at this time next year. All right. That sounds great. We know where all the best beer is sold in Columbia, so you're welcome anytime. Well, we're good at drinking beer, man. Thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, I certainly feel much better informed going into Saturday. Colin, how about you? Yeah, yeah. I feel like I've, uh, I'm have i bursting with information. Uh, I feel like uh, there weren't as many Missouri in Athens beating uh, Georgia by 75-point predictions as I would have liked to have heard. Right. But... Um, you know, I'll take what I can get. Did any of this information change your mind at all, or do you have the same uh, dreary outlook you did before? No, I mean, unless um, unless magically our offensive line is going to figure out how to play football in the manner of six days, I feel like uh, Mizzou's chances are still pretty slim. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you on that one. Uh, but it's it'll be fun. I really enjoyed yelling and screaming yeah. uh, last you, weekend. Hey, you, you can never underestimate George's ability to have the green apple sloppies down both legs. That's right. They're the best at it. Well, you know what, Colin? Uh, let's invite anybody to uh, join Corey as next week to uh, call us in on the yep. weekend show and bitch and moan because uh, that yep. was a lot of fun. Let's, let's hope they're calling in talking about how Georgia got the trots and Missouri pulled off a huge win. <laughs> I'm certainly hoping for that. All right. Well, I'll talk to you, uh, I guess, Saturday, Colin. I'm looking forward to it. M-I-Z. Z-O-U. Hey, 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 hey,